Thank you for listening, but please be advised that I'm human and I make mistakes. Be skeptical and look into things for yourself. If you find that I did make a mistake somewhere, please let me know so that I may correct myself. You can do that at livingthroughextinction at gmail.com. Please also be aware that I do swear and I don't bleep it out. So listener discretion is also advised. Oh, and this episode may contain sexual content, though I'm sure if you saw the title, you figured that all out already. This is episode 68 of Living Through Extinction, a short to the point podcast with science, skepticism, environment, wildlife, and ways we as people can be better for future generations. Except for today. There will be no wildlife or environment today. This is going to be an odd episode, as the research topic is in honor of Sexual Health Awareness Day, September 4th, and Sexual Health Awareness Month, which is all September. So I had the joy of researching vaginas, vulvas, and clits, and there is a lot to say about these things. Skeptical shit will still be talked about. Folklore, science, health, happy shit, and things we should know so we can be better will all be a part of it. What follows today are basically a bunch of segments about the vulvar and vaginal areas of the human body. I'm not normally shy when it comes to things that are just part of human nature, so we'll be speaking rather frankly about topics that may make some people uncomfortable. Maybe don't listen to this one at work without wearing headphones. I sure hope turning up the mic fixes the volume issues from the last episode because I'm excited to talk about this stuff and it would be a real bummer if the volume wasn't there for this one. If you have joined me before, then thank you so much for returning. If this is your first time listening to Living Through Extinction, welcome! I hope you find it both fun and informative. Vaginas. Beautiful, powerful, shape-shifting vaginas. Those inside feel-good bits that have the ability to stretch out far enough to birth a 10-pound child and then go back again to the size small enough to be pleasurable to a penis. I don't think people listening to this need this explanation, but I feel like I should do so just in case. The vagina is just the tunnel to the cervix. If someone flashes you their pussy, what they are showing you is their vulva, and maybe the outer part of their clitoral hood, depending on how they're built and how much hair there is. So I'd like to start with the parts. Everything else just wouldn't be properly understood without knowledge of the parts. If you know and don't want to hear them, just skip forward a minute or so. Other segments today will contain bits on myth and legend, facts and woo, art, health, menstruation, shaming, and how Ben Shapiro told everyone he can't get his wife's vagina wet. But, as I just said, let's start with the parts. Assuming we ignore the hair, the most visible part of a woman's pleasure zone, if you were to be flashed, are the labia majora. These are the outermost folds, and in most cases, all other bits will be hidden behind, being protected from exposure by the labia majora. Now, if there's a labia majora, it's logical to guess that there must be a labia minora. And of course there is. Protected behind the labia majora is a second, smaller set of folds. This is where things become a lot more sensitive to exposure. If we go down towards the bottom of the labia is the vaginal entrance, where babies come through and where good times are had. Just above the vaginal entrance is a urethral opening, obviously where pee exits. And then there's one more part. It starts up at the pubic bone where a small bit of it is sometimes exposed. It goes out to either side and down and wraps around the vaginal entrance. If you look at a diagram, it looks a lot like a penis and balls with a small penis head poking out at the top. 
than the rest of it being underneath and not visible. Of course, I'm talking about the clitoris, the massive pleasure organ, which is so much more than the little exposed button everyone's familiar with. And those are the parts. Of course, I'll have images and diagrams on the social medias. This show normally begins with a skeptical segment, so it only makes sense for me to start today with vagina woo and bullshit. My first vagina woo for you is jade eggs. My advice? Don't do it. Do not stick jade eggs in your vagina. One, they do absolutely nothing for you. Two, ask any gynecologist and they will say no. Of course, this particular woo is being peddled by exactly who we would all expect to peddle such garbage, Gwyneth Paltrow. Her fame and popularity has made her a dangerous person because she can say whatever she wants, and she has followers who will always believe her. We all know that she has been forced to remove posts about her products more than once for blatantly false medical claims. You'd think that would be enough, but her followers probably never even know. She takes the posts down, but she never apologizes and explains why she's taking the post down or that she was forced to do so. She's already put it out there. The damage is already done. How I wish there could be stronger repercussions for famous people who use their fame to become fucking snake oil salesmen. I find her despicable, as do most people in pretty much all skeptical communities. When talking about her Netflix show, Ars Technica said, quote, it actually intends to guide exploitable viewers through unproven and potentially dangerous health practices, such as the same garbage Goop has been promoting for years. Unquote. Next on the Woo list is steaming. No! Do not fucking steam your lady bits! Especially those steams that have herbs and shit in them. According to everyone's favorite Canadian Twitter gynecologist, Jennifer Gunter, the herbs usually recommended for these steams are often allergens. She has also pointed out that these pictures celebrities post of sitting over a steam bath to steam their vagina, if that's how they're doing it, the steam is not getting into their vagina. It would stay on the vulva, thankfully, because if it did go in the vagina, it would bring air with it, and she says that is bad. Steaming is completely unnecessary, and when it goes wrong... One ends up with irritated or even burned tissue on the most sensitive part of their body. This next one may make some women mad, as I understand it's still rather common in the U.S. Douching. Don't do it. Why would you do it? Dr. Jennifer Gunter gave a talk titled, Oh my god, I love this, Pseudoscience in the Pussy, Profit Politics and Patriarchy. Fuck, I love her. Isn't that the best title ever? I'm going to say it again just because it feels good to say for some reason. Pseudoscience and the Pussy. Profit, Politics, and Patriarchy. In this talk, she encourages everyone to question advertisements with terms such as fresh, wholesome, pure, natural, or clean when they are aimed at women. She also explains how terms like these have been used to weaponize women's bodies against them. Please check it out. Again, it's called Pseudoscience and the Pussy. Profit, politics, and patriarchy. <laughs> I got to say it again. The point is, we never needed these particular products. Just keep clean there the same way you do on the rest of your body. Any gynecologist will tell you that a vagina is a self-cleaning oven, and messing with that artificially can mess up the natural chemical balance, making you more prone to infection or other issues. 
So why do we have dishes on the shelves to buy? Good question! In the 1920s and 1930s, douching was used as a form of birth control. It didn't work, but people were desperate. Selling birth control was illegal, and women thought if they douched, the sperm would be killed, I guess? Lysol and other cleaning companies sold douches at the time, so I guess they figured if it killed germs, maybe it would kill sperm too? Oh, and yes, you heard that right. Douches were made by Lysol. When actual birth control became available, douching sales went way down, and that's when the companies began advertising campaigns that aimed at convincing women that their private parts smelled bad and were overall unpleasant in the natural state, even promoting scented ones to make things nice and fresh. Of all the things you might put in, on, or around your vagina, please never ever anything scented. To wind up the don't do this section, which could theoretically go on forever, really, but let's finish this part with homemade remedies. The two most common ingredients in home remedies are garlic and essential oils. Anything with garlic could potentially cause infection. And, as I talked about on episode 56, essential oils can cause chemical burns, and you do not want to be experiencing that down there. Ever. When it comes to sprays, creams, powders, and things for use in or around your vagina and labia, please be skeptical, damn it! Let's go over some health care and other facts before getting to the fun stuff with myths and legends and that wild piece of art I posted a few weeks back. A healthy vaginal area is essential for overall health. It can affect one's fertility, libido, and ability to orgasm. Many women find vaginal issues embarrassing and do not see a doctor as a result. This isn't good for a person, either physically or mentally. A treatable condition could be getting worse. And while the person is dealing with the issue, it can have serious effects on mental health and physical relationships. Part of caring for yourself is seeking medical advice when something is off, even if that something might be embarrassing. Also part of caring for yourself, as well as those around you, is protection, of course. Using condoms can protect you from AIDS, herpes, even monkeypox. Don't use sprays, deodorants, or douches. Something douches may help with irritation, but they are more likely to worsen any issues that might already be present. The pH of your vagina is probably already perfect. Don't mess with that shit unless a gynecologist says it's necessary. If you have or regularly play with a vagina, you know it's generally a damp area. This is fine so long as nothing smells funny or is discolored. Vaginas themselves can even be somewhat leaky. The period is obvious, but most women also exude a noticeably thicker cervical mucus around ovulation time and a similarly thick substance when they orgasm. As one ages, however, or sometimes due to medical issues, or sometimes due to anxiety or depression, it can suddenly go very dry, and this can lead to some extreme discomfort, particularly during sex or even masturbation. For these situations, there are special over-the-counter treatments one can get, where you apply two to three times a week to maintain a normal moisture level. Of course, we all know that, unlike what Ben Shapiro's wife tells him so as not to hurt his itty-bitty feelings, arousal causes the vaginal area of most women to become very wet and slippery. For some, however, arousal doesn't have this effect anymore, so for them there's a freedom of lube. Lube's fabulous! Nobody wants their dry clit rubbed. If fluids aren't being made quickly enough, there's no shame in reaching for the lube. It can also prevent damage, as intercourse or vigorous rubbing when too dry can cause tears and raw spots that could cause a lot of pain 
and take a while to heal. This isn't just for vaginas. Lube makes things more enjoyable for the owner of the penis as well. My personal recommendation is to use water-based lubricants. They're amazing and there's no reason to not go water-based anymore, really. Also, I shouldn't have to say this, but don't use Vaseline, especially with condoms. That's a no. Now, let's all have a laugh by thinking back to when Ben Shapiro got his nose out of joint over the wet-ass pussy song and admitted to the entire world on Twitter that he doesn't make his wife wet. Oh my god, that was a glorious day. He owned himself so fucking hard and didn't even realize it. I mean, I'm sure someone eventually explained it to him, but oh my god, that whole thing was entertaining as hell. Following are some tips on vulvar care from the Cleveland Clinic. Keep your vulva dry and free of irritants, which means pretty much anything scented, by the way. Wash with warm water and dry with a clean towel. That's all it needs, man. Avoid douches. I notice that one comes up everywhere. Use soft toilet paper. Be tampon responsible, not wearing them for extended periods. Wear cotton underwear. Wash new underclothes before wearing. Don't use harsh laundry soaps or scented soaps and don't use dryer sheets on underclothes. Don't use sprays, deodorants, oils, or powders on your vulvar area at all. Another one that seems to come up everywhere. Next, here are the Mayo Clinic's tips on protecting one's vaginal health. Be sexually responsible, which I already kind of talked about. Properly clean sex toys after use. Very important. Do Kegels. They really do work, but one has to start young and do them pretty much their entire life. Building up that pelvic floor muscle is the best way to keep from peeing your pants as you get older. Unfortunately, when we give birth, these pelvic muscles get their asses kicked a little bit more each time. Know your medications and their side effects. With some medications, one might have to start using lubrication, even if it was never required in their sex life before. And get vaccinated. Hepatitis B is a serious liver infection, and it can be spread through sexual contact. HPV causes cervical cancer. My generation did not have the vaccine for this, and I have one friend who ended up with full-blown cervical cancer, another who ended up with full-blown throat cancer, and myself and my aunt both had to undergo the laser treatments and colposcopies due to being on the verge of full-blown cancer. It's super common, and we know what causes it and can prevent it. I want you to get all the vaccines, if it's safe for you to do so, but if you do not or cannot, please, please, please get a pap smear every three years. And if you get a call from your doctor to please come back to go over your PAP results, fucking go! It could be just that the test has to be redone because of contamination. Or it could be pre-cancer. No, laser treatments and colposcopies are not fun, but they're a whole lot quicker and easier to go through than chemotherapy. It takes three years for those precancerous cells to become something much more dangerous. So deal with it as soon as you know about it and save yourself a fuckload of grief. Get vaxxed or get the pap and follow up. If you have a cervix, I beg this of you. I live in the province of Manitoba in Canada. Not to brag, actually, no. If you live in the US, I'm sorry, but this is going to be bragging to you. I was a few weeks past the three-year mark for my last pap smear. I got a letter from Manitoba Health reminding me it was time to get it done. I made a phone call that day, got an appointment for the following month, and I got it done. No concerns about what all of it might cost me, because it doesn't cost anything. 
as it should be in properly free nations. Moving on, the outward appearance of the vulva and clit has no standard when it comes to size, and the shapes really do vary as well. Some women have much larger clitoral hoods, while others are very small. Vulvas also vary a great deal from person to person. Many people believe that the vaginal canal changes its size and shape based on the toys they use or their partner at the time. No. This is not true in any way. Let's be real for a moment. If it can regain shape after having a baby, then a toy or a penis is not going to do shit. There are conditions that can cause scar tissue which can cause those kinds of changes. The opening and canal may become shorter and narrower as a result. The scarring could be the result of radiation therapy, surgery, or an injury. I saved the best part for last. The clit! There's so much to know about the clitoris. While mostly beneath the surface and not visible, it's actually a huge organ that goes down and wraps around the vaginal tunnel. The end of the clit alone contains over 8,000 nerve endings, which is double that of a penis, by the way. Now, I'm having trouble believing these next two, but apparently they're true. If you have knowledge on this, I would love to hear it. Apparently, the clitoris does not age. An 80-year-old clitoris works just as well as a 20-year-old clitoris. And apparently clits never stop growing. A clit is supposedly 2.5 times larger in one's 90s than in one's teens. We know it grows when aroused, kind of like a penis. A clitoris can swell as much as 300% when getting off. It tends to grow larger and larger as orgasm approaches. Women with larger clits that swell to a larger extent can sometimes feel the backside of the clit from the inside of the vaginal canal when it's engorged. These lucky women can have their clitoris rubbed from both sides at the same time and are more likely to orgasm via intercourse. Many people call this the G-spot, but it's a myth that all women have one. Some have smaller clits that don't swell very much when aroused and won't necessarily be felt from the inside without quite a bit of pressure. There's still much to learn, but I want to get on to menstruation and finish off health, care, and facts. Take care of your vulvar area. Vulvas, vaginas, and clits matter for health and happiness. Menstruation needed its own segment. Parts could be under health and care, parts could be under bullshit beliefs. So one of the first things to understand, if you do not have a vagina of your own, is it is a closed system. That's what makes it safe for products such as tampons and cups and other insertables, unlike assholes. Nothing should ever go near your ass if it's not flared at the end. Vaginas are different. They have an end, so things can't get completely lost. Though I did hear a story in one of Risk's spotty storytelling shows. Risk is an amazing podcast. This one woman tells a story forgetting about her tampon, having lots of sex, and then realizing way too long later that it was in there and all smushed up against her cervix and having to call a friend to come help get it out. Shit like that's rare. Also, listen to Risk. Boldly told true tales they never thought they'd dare to share. I promise they're not all body storytelling shows. The experiences shared on that show over the decades have helped me be a better person. Seriously. But body shows are fun too. I'm supposed to be talking about menstruation. Supplies. Everyone is familiar with pads and liners. We see dozens of videos every year of little kids running around with them stuck all over their body. These are simple peel-and-stick products that just go into the underwear. Just be sure no parts are folded on that liner when you pull it up, or the next time you go to pull your underwear down or off, it will take pubes with it. Consider that my PSA of the day. Tampons and cups are made to be used with the average natural shape of a vagina. 
Tampons are either inserted with an applicator or they're just pushed straight into place with a finger. Cups, in case someone is unaware, look kind of like a funnel with no opening at the bottom. To insert one of these, one has to fold the funnel in upon itself, insert it into place, release, and if it doesn't open right away by itself, take it by the stem and give it a little turn to get it to do so. The stem is also used to pull it out when it's time for it to be emptied and cleaned. Sometimes the base has to be squeezed just slightly to break the seal before it will pull out. There's nothing really difficult about it, though. If inserted correctly, like a tampon, a menstrual cup should not be felt, though I must caveat with the fact that there are always outliers. Some people have reactions from anything inside of them, even menstrual products, and it could cause severe irritation. And then some people are just built differently. For those who can wear tampons and cups, however, there are a lot of benefits to the cup. You can do anything with a cup that you can do with a tampon. Nothing about the cup is limiting. It can be worn for much longer times too, six to 12 hours, and is completely safe for overnight. Tampons absorb rather than collect blood, so they put people at risk of toxic shock syndrome if they wear them too long or overnight. Cups also hold way more blood than any tampon. I think it was like three to four times more. One cup can last six to 12 years, making a huge dent in tampon waste. Periods are a natural, beautiful thing. Regular periods are a sign of fertility. Yet the patriarchy has decided in almost every nation through the ages that periods are dirty, unlucky, and shameful. The Bible says stupid shit about women being unclean for a week of each month and dumb stuff about not sitting in a chair menstruating woman recently sat upon her and shit like that. Or was that the Quran? The stories in each are so reflective of each other that I mix them up sometimes. Whatever. It's all patriarchal bullshit. There's nothing more dirty about menstrual blood than any other blood period. Ha! No pun intended. Roman author Pliny the Elder actually wrote down the following words. Contact with the monthly flux of women turns new wine sour, makes crops wither, kills grafts, dries seeds and gardens, causes the fruit of trees to fall off, dims the bright surface of mirrors, dulls the edge of steel and the gleam of ivory, kills bears, rusts iron and bronze, and causes a horrible smell to fill the air. Wow, right? Also, why the fuck is blood getting on all of these things? Are women walking around cursing shit when on their periods by smacking them with their period blood? Well, I totally have that image in my head now. That would be a cool power. Anyway, I'd like to see periods normalized. I'd like to see it discussed as openly as a pimple might be. I'd like to see leaks laughed off lightheartedly rather than treated as something to be ashamed of. Speaking of shame... Polls in the U.S. found that 58% of women have felt embarrassment for being on their period. Not even leaks, just being on their period. 42% of women experienced period shaming from other people. And for one in five who answered this way, the shaming came from a male friend. Also, apparently 17% of men will not buy period products for their partner? That just sounds so primitive to me. In our nation, advertising is aimed at shaming and causing insecurities in women. It's very useful for selling products such as deodorants, wipes, and douches, all of which could disrupt one's healthy vaginal microbiome. It's increasing the chance of irritation or infection. But if that continues to be all we have to deal with, we actually have it lucky. Thanks to origins in different patriarchal religions, people in different parts of the world have it much worse. Women and girls as young as 10 are put out of the house in some places. Seven days out of every 28 days of their lives after that, they must go live in the shed or something. 
On the opposite extreme, some women have no access to menstruation products, and so they end up confined to their homes for however many days they bleed for. That can be a long fucking time for some people. One woman who talked of being 16 said she was not allowed to enter her house or eat anything but boiled rice. No touch would be allowed with other women, so no comforts from mum, sisters, grandmother, or she would pollute them. Men, on the other hand, would begin to shiver and sicken if touched. The child on her period was not allowed to drink milk or the buffalo would sicken and stop providing it. If she entered a temple or worship during this time, the gods would be pissed and take their revenge on a 16-year-old child. I find this shit horrific, and it all stems from patriarchal leaderships and the humiliation that they have put on people with vaginas for centuries. Periods are a normal, healthy part of most women's lives. Can we please normalize this perfectly normal bodily function? Of course, there is vulva-vagina-related folklore, and art to go with it, as many of you may have seen. I will repost it again today in case someone missed it. It's a comical illustration of a woman showing her privates to a demon and the amazingly horrified face of said demon. This illustration is from 1896, when Charles Eason created it based on the 17th century poem, The Devil of Pope Fig Island by Jean de La Fontaine. Thank you, both of you, because this is one of the best Cosmo Laugh Out Loud images I've ever seen. The poem is too long for me to read here, but I believe I can sum it up for you so that the picture everyone seems to be enjoying finally makes some sense. Well, sort of, I guess. There was this town full of sinners. Sounds fun, right? But it was given over to Lucifer as punishment. Lucifer proceeded to fill it up with devils and imps, who of course caused all sorts of havoc. One day, one of the devils was all... Your crops belong to us and you know it, but I'm a nice imp, and will allow you to keep a percentage. So the people all over town began to hand over a percentage of what they each produced. But this one farmer dupes him. When asked what he grows, he says, Tousle, a grain of hardy times. When it comes time to harvest, he keeps the corn for himself and his wife, and he sends all of the leaves and stems to the devil, who gets pissed and yells at him and shit, and the farmer's all, Sorry, man, won't happen again. If you let me live to the next harvest, I'll give you carrots, radishes, and turnips. So the devil lets him live. And then he does it again, sending just the leaves and stems of the carrots, radishes, and turnips. This time, the devil vows to come back and destroy him. Which is weird, because he had to go see him in order to vow to come back and destroy him. So why wouldn't he destroy him then and there? Anyway, the farmer's wife tells him not to worry. But he's terrified, and as the devil comes back for him, he runs off to a church and hides in a giant vase partially filled with holy water. She, on the other hand, stays put, ready to face the devil. When he arrives, she starts crying at the devil that her husband is very powerful and brutal, that he's done the most horrible things to her, and she proceeds to beg the devil to run now and save himself. Quote, He'd with his claws your lordship tear and slash. See, only see, my lord, he made this gash on which she showed what you will guess, no doubt, and put the demon presently to rout. Unquote. Yes, y'all, the open gash of her pussy scared him away. That is the poem, and that is what the image is based on. Now you know. There was a similar but much shorter poem that graced an 1800s cartoon. This one is short enough to read in its entirety. Once on a time the sire of evil, in plainer English called the devil, some new experiment to try. 
at Chloe cast a roguish eye. But she, who all his arts defied, pulled up and shooed her sex's pride, a thing all shaken about with hair, so much it made old Satan stare, who, frightened at the grim display, takes to his heels and runs away. If we go back even further, in ancient Greece it was believed that a woman could not just drive away devils and evil spirits and unwanted deities, but also scare attacking troops, keep animals at bay, and calm the elements, all simply by exposing her genitalia. In the folklore of Catalonia, female genitals can calm rough seas. In real life, fishermen's wives used to expose themselves to the waves before each trip to keep their men safe. In Russian folklore, exposing female genitals will scare away bears. One big myth about women and how they grow came from Freud, of course. Pretty much everything this fucker said about women ended up being completely wrong. But people listened. In 1905, he wrote a ridiculous essay in which he claimed that women go through two sexual stages. He claimed that children and adolescents reach orgasm via the clit, and when they become adults, they reach orgasm via the vagina. He also claimed that the shift in erotic zones is the reason for why women were more likely to demonstrate neurosis or hysteria. The entire essay was a ginormous collection of disinformation probably pulled out of his ass. But the things he said remained myths in society for way too long after that. One of the most famous vaginal-related myths is that of vagina dentata. This is Latin for toothed vagina, and this one has a history that spans several countries and shows up in many religions. I read that many of the tales have a similar ending as well. A man or men would remove the teeth and declare the woman once again safe to have sex with. Joy. In Shintoism, in a new legend had sharp-toothed demons hiding inside the vaginas of two women. They were saved by a smith who forged iron phalluses to break the demon's teeth. Again, saved by a man, of course. There is unfortunately also a movie from 2008 called Teeth. I initially presumed this was going to be a horror about a woman's vagina biting off penises. It's not. It's actually listed as a comedy about a woman's vagina biting off penises. So, yeah, that exists. Bailey Galen Moore is a writer working on a collection of vagina essays. She says that historically, vagina dentatomits were used as a method to instill fear of women, reinforcing patriarchal power. The closest thing out there to an actual vagina dentata is the Rapax condom. Except that motherfucker is barbed. The Rapax condom was invented by Dr. Sonnet Ehlers. It is perfectly safe to insert into the vaginal canal, but if penetrated by a penis, that penis will come back out with the condom attached to it by these razor-sharp barbs. Everywhere I read about this thing, it said that it can only be safely removed by a clinician, if the person doesn't want to do permanent damage. I'm sure there are more legends, myths, and wild beliefs out there related to the private parts of women, so I'll be doing an update next year. If you know of any, please send them my way. You can do that at livingthroughextinction at gmail.com, or you could send them to me through the social medias, but I'm more likely to receive it in a timely manner via email. I consider art to be a positive thing, so to finish things off, I want to point out a couple of fun things and then share an amazing play my friend and I attended several years ago. First off, did you know that there is an artist in Whitehorse named Stormy Bradley who makes beaded vaginas? Well, now you do. Have you heard of the Great Wall of Vaginas? 
That was the title, though it was actually a great ball of vulvas, but it's amazing regardless. In 2008, artist Jamie McCartney cast the vulvas of 400 different people to demonstrate the uniqueness of each one. It's pretty amazing to see. Please look it up. That's the Great Wall of Vaginas. And finally, the play. Everyone has heard of the vagina monologues, but how many of you have heard of Pum is French for Apple? It was performed by Lisa Paul and Baya Watson. I found no evidence of the show still going on anywhere, but there are YouTube clips, so I'll try to find some good ones to put up. This play has nothing to do with French or apples. It's a play on the slang pum, P-U-M, which is short for pum-pum, which in West India is the term for women's private parts. Winnipeg has a festival of plays written by and for women every year around fall time. It's called FemFest, and one year my favorite flower, Miss Marcella, and I were able to attend quite a few of the performances. By far the one that stood out was Pum is French for Apple. The woman on stage discussed learning about and growing up with their own vaginas in a West Indian culture. But I guarantee you any human being with a vagina will be able to relate to the great majority of the topics covered. Things like sex and attraction, straight and gay, first date to elderly issues, and everything in between. And there is a lot of humor in their impressions of their mothers. Oh my gosh, it was so funny. And as great as all this already is... I haven't even talked about the best part yet. We didn't just get to hear from the woman about their vaginal experiences. We got to hear from the vulvas themselves. The woman on stage wore pink infinity scarves. In the beginning, the voices of the vulvas are somewhat muted or muffled would be a better term. Kind of background talk happening. But when the time came for them to be heard, the scarves were removed, stretched, and formed into talking vulvas. And it was fucking amazing. I went back in the archives of sarasvati.ca, the production company that sells tickets for FemFest each year, and found this description. Pum is French for Apple is a fresh, funny, irreverent, and distinctly West Indian look at womanhood in all its glory, its perils, its pleasures, and all kind of madness in between. End quote. I'm sorry to be presumptive, but if you have a vagina, doesn't that description alone sound amazing? That is all I have for vaginas, vulvas, and clits. For now. If by this time next year I've learned more, then an update episode may be done. Thank you for listening. May your health and sanity be replenished daily. I would very much like to say thank you to the following people. Jason Martin for helping me get started on this project over two years ago. I wouldn't be doing this right now if not for him. Kathy Rayner for her musical contribution on the violin. Paul Palmer for his musical contribution on the guitar. He can be found at WPG Suitcase Drummer on Instagram. Dustin Harder for composing and recording the intro and outro for the show. You can find him on Instagram at Prairie Soul Music. And finally, thank you to my family who doesn't complain at all at the fact that while they're in the living room watching TV, I'm in the bedroom working on the podcast. They are all amazingly supportive. I hope you will choose to join me again in two weeks for episode 69 of Living Through Extinction. Ah, shit! 69? I didn't plan anything special for 69! And 69 also lands in Sexual Health Awareness Month. Well, shit! 
If you enjoy Living Through Extinction and would like to support the show, the best ways to do so are to subscribe and rate and to comment and like positive comments on your favorite podcast player. Or you can help by following, liking, and sharing on all the social medias. The show can be found under Living Through Extinction on Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and TikTok, and under LTE Pod on Twitter. There's also a Patreon at patreon.com slash livingthroughextinction. There you can earn stickers, pins, masks, and more, as well as to help me plant some trees. If you have any comments, corrections, questions, or suggestions, please email them to livingthroughextinction at gmail.com or message me through one of the social medias.